Day six of Totus Tuus's Novena to Mary Immaculate, Star of Hope, with quotes from Pope Benedict the Sixteenth's encyclical letter, Space Selvi, on Christian hope. A first essential setting for learning hope is prayer. When no one listens to me anymore, God still listens to me. When I can no longer talk to anyone or call upon anyone, I can always talk to God. When there is no longer anyone to help me deal with a need or expectation that goes beyond the human capacity for hope, He can help me. When I have been plunged into complete solitude, if I pray, I am never totally alone. The late Cardinal Nyung Van Thun, a prisoner for 13 years, nine of them spent in solitary confinement, has left us a precious little book, Prayers of Hope. During 13 years in jail, in a situation of seemingly utter hopelessness, the fact that he could listen and speak to God became for him an increasing power of hope, which enabled him, after his release, to become for people all over the world a witness to hope, to that great hope which does not wane even in the nights of solitude. Saint Augustine, in a homily on the first letter of John, describes very beautifully the intimate relationship between prayer and hope. He defines prayer as an exercise of desire. Man was created for greatness, for God himself. He was created to be filled by God. But his heart is too small for the greatness to which it is destined. It must be stretched. By delaying his gift, God strengthens our desire. Through desire, he enlarges our soul, and by expanding it, he increases its capacity for receiving him. Augustine refers to St. Paul, who speaks of himself as straining forward to the things that are to come. He then uses a very beautiful image to describe this process of enlargement and preparation of the human heart. Suppose that God wishes to fill you with honey, a symbol of God's tenderness and goodness. But if you are full of vinegar, where will he put the honey? The vessel, that is your heart, must first be enlarged and then cleansed, freed from the vinegar and its taste. This requires hard work and is painful, but in this way alone do we become suited to that for which we are destined. Even if Augustine speaks directly only of our capacity for God, it is nevertheless clear that through this effort by which we are freed from vinegar and the taste of vinegar, not only are we freed for God, but we also become open to others. It is only by becoming children of God that we can be with our common Father. To pray is not to step outside history and withdraw to our own private corner of happiness. When we pray properly, we undergo a process of inner purification, which opens us up to God and thus to our fellow human beings as well.
In prayer, we must learn what we can truly ask of God, what is worthy of God. We must learn that we cannot pray against others. We must learn that we cannot ask for the superficial and comfortable things that we desire at this moment, that meagre, misplaced hope that leads us away from God. We must learn to purify our desires and our hopes. We must free ourselves from the hidden lies with which we deceive ourselves. God sees through them, and when we come before God, we too are forced to recognize them. But who can discern his errors? Clear me from my hidden faults, prays the psalmist. Failure to recognize my guilt, the illusion of my innocence, does not justify me and does not save me, because I am culpable for the numbness of my conscience and my incapacity to recognize the evil in me for what it is. If God does not exist, perhaps I have to seek refuge in these lies, because there is no one who can forgive me, no one who has the true criterion. Yet my encounter with God awakens my conscience in such a way that it no longer aims at self-justification and is no longer a mere reflection of me and those of my contemporaries who shape my thinking, but it becomes a capacity for listening to the good itself. For prayer to develop this power of purification, it must on the one hand be something very personal, an encounter between my intimate self and God, the living God. On the other hand, it must be constantly guided and enlightened by the great prayers of the Church and of the saints, by liturgical prayer in which the Lord teaches us again and again how to pray properly. Cardinal Ung Van Thun, in his book of spiritual exercises, tells us that during his life there were long periods when he was unable to pray and that he would hold fast to the text of the Church's prayer, the Our Father, the Hail Mary, and the prayers of the liturgy. Praying must always involve this intermingling of public and personal prayer. This is how we speak to God, and how God speaks to us. In this way we undergo those purifications by which we become open to God, and are prepared for the service of our fellow human beings. We become capable of the great hope, and thus we become ministers of hope for others. Hope, in a Christian sense, is always hope for others as well. It is an active hope, in which we struggle to prevent things moving towards the perverse end. It is an active hope, also in the sense that we keep the world open to God. Only in this way does it continue to be a truly human hope. Prayer of Pope Benedict XVI on the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary, 2007 Dear brothers and sisters, at an event which has now become a tradition, we are meeting here at the Spanish Steps to offer our floral tribute to Our Lady on the day when the whole church celebrates the feast of her Immaculate Conception.
following in the footsteps of my predecessors, I also join you, dear faithful of Rome, to pause at Mary's feet with filial affection and love. For 150 years, she has watched over our city from the top of this pillar. Today's act is a gesture of faith and devotion, which our Christian community repeats from year to year, as if to reaffirm its commitment of fidelity to she who, in every circumstance of daily life, assures us of her help and motherly protection. This expression of piety is at the same time an opportunity to offer to all who live in Rome, all who are spending a few days as pilgrims and tourists, an opportunity, despite the diversity of cultures, to feel they are one family gathered around a mother who has shared the daily efforts of every woman and mother of a family. She is, however, a completely singular mother, for she was chosen by God in advance for a unique and mysterious mission. To bring forth to earthly life the Father's eternal word, who came into the world for the salvation of all people. And Mary, immaculate in her conception, this is how we venerate her today, travelled her earthly pilgrimage, sustained by undaunted faith, steadfast hope, and humble and boundless love, following in the footsteps of her son, Jesus. She was close to him with motherly solicitude from his birth to Calvary, where she witnessed his crucifixion, transfixed by suffering, but with unwavering hope. She then experienced the joy of the resurrection at dawn on the third day, the new day, when the crucified one left the tomb, overcoming forever and definitively the power of sin and death. Mary, in whose virginal womb God was made man, is our mother. Indeed, from the cross before bringing his sacrifice to completion, Jesus gave her to us as our mother and entrusted us to her as her children. This is a mystery of mercy and love, a gift that enriches the church with fruitful spiritual motherhood. Let us turn our gaze to her, especially today, dear brothers and sisters, and imploring her help, prepare ourselves to treasure all her maternal teaching. Does not our Heavenly Mother invite us to shun evil and to do good, following with docility the divine law engraved in every Christian's heart? Does not she, who preserved her hope even at the peak of her trial, ask us not to lose heart when suffering and death come knocking at the door of our homes? Does she not ask us to look confidently to our future? Does not the Immaculate Virgin exhort us to be brothers and sisters to one another? all united by the commitment to build together a world that is more just, supportive and peaceful. Yes, dear friends, on this solemn day, 
the church once again holds up Mary to the world as a sign of sure hope and of the definitive victory of good over evil. The one whom we invoke is full of grace, reminds us that we are all brothers and sisters, and that God is our Creator and our Father. Without Him, or even worse, against Him, we human beings will never be able to find the way that leads to love. We will never be able to defeat the power of hatred and violence. We will never be able to build a lasting peace. May the people of every nation and culture welcome this message of light and hope. May they accept it as a gift from the hands of Mary, Mother of all humanity. If life is a journey, and this journey is often dark, difficult and exhausting, what star can illuminate it? In my encyclical letter, Space Selvi, published at the beginning of Advent, I wrote that the Church looks to Mary and calls on her as a star of hope. During our common voyage on the sea of history, we stand in need of lights of hope, that is, of people who shine with Christ's light and so guide us along our way. And who could be a better star of hope for us than Mary? With her, yes, with the generous offering of freedom received from the Creator, she enabled the hope of the millennia to become reality, to enter this world and its history. Through her, God took flesh, became one of us, and pitched his tent among us. Thus, inspired by filial trust, we say to her, Teach us, Mary, to believe, to hope, to love with you. Show us the way that leads to peace, the way to the kingdom of Jesus. You, star of hope, who wait for us anxiously in the everlasting light of the eternal homeland, shine upon us and guide us through daily events, now and at the hour of our death. Amen.